Listening to you, me, them, everybody. My name is Brandon Weatherby, and sitting here in my very, very tiny Westtown apartment is Adam Burke. Hello, Brandon. And Adam was kind enough to be on the bill at uh, the Hungry Brain uh, about a month, ago, a little less than a month ago, uh, for a stand-up show. And he is a very good stand-up, and he made everyone laugh heartily. So thank you for doing that. You're welcome. Um, I didn't know Adam before he uh, signed up to do the show. All I knew was that he was a comedian, and he wasn't originally from Chicago. You might have noticed from the, his, his uh, tone of voice. Uh, so where are you from, Adam? Uh, okay, there, I normally have to do the comprehensive answer, which is I was born in Australia. I grew up in Northern Ireland. Then I moved to London, and then I finally wound up in the States about 10 years ago. Okay, and why are you still here? Why am- you actually like it. Uh, I love Chicago. Yeah, Chicago's um, it's yeah one of my favorite places I've ever been. And I lived in London for thirteen years, so I think that speaks highly. That does that speak highly. You've never had a desire to go back to London. Uh, whenever I go back, to be honest, I I kind of enjoy it less and less every time I go back. Is it a money thing? Is it a too spread out? Not spread out enough? Oh, transportation. The, the money thing is a huge. Yeah, it's slightly it, more expensive than New York, right? Uh, well, here's the thing, because. It's not so bad now, but like I went back two years, two or three years ago, and it was literally, um, I think, well, like fifty pence on on the dollar, or whatever. Like basically, yeah. your, your money got halved. Yeah, exactly. So, and then if you went, and if you went to McDonald's, it would cost you eight dollars for a burger. And that's true. <laughs> yeah. And so, what's it serves you? Serves me right, actually, for eating the McDonald's in London. But I ate Burger King in the Netherlands, so I think I'm just as bad, if not worse. <laughs> Um, you're a comic, and I find you delightful. Um, and I, I feel like I shouldn't ask this question, but I will anyways. Uh, rather than say who who you like or who are your inspirations, if you can tour with anybody right now, two comics, uh, they have to be living. Oh, oh, they have wow. to be living. Um, and it, but size doesn't matter. It could be Rickles. It could be a guy that started last week. It could, oh so. man. That's a really good question. I try my hardest, sir. That's a really good question, and it's going to totally betray. Uh. The fact that I am nowhere near as <laughs> au fait well, with current comedians, yeah, like, but I'm not, um, but like, I'm not as up on current comedians as I should be. Oh, um, whatever, they're all awful. I, w- <laughs> I would say, I don't know. I would really, I would. S- the first one I'm going to say is we would probably be too close, but there's a an Irish comedian called um, Dermot Moran, okay. Dylan Moran, Dylan Moran, yeah, Dylan Moran. Um, and he's hilarious, and he, he's really funny, and he's a, like a really great writer. He had a very... Have you ever heard of a sitcom called Black Books? I have not, and now I will look it up. Yeah, he, people should check that show. It's it's uh, it's a show about an alcoholic who, who, who runs a bookstore, and he hates books and the people who read books. <laughs> it's, it's I really was just in a bookstore today, and I met that gentleman. <laughs> he was awful. Right, he's... Yeah, he's, it's, a, it's an archetype, I think. Um... Dylan Moran would be great, and um, probably Eddie Izzard, just because he's, you know. Okay, but, but see, so I, I don't know the other gentlemen per se, but Eddie Izzard seems more of a storyteller than like a straight stand-up comic. Well, this is what, this is a, a funny thing, is like, just because, it's just funny because I, I talked to someone about this just over the weekend, is that I always say, and, and uh, Eddie Izzard always says that he never tells jokes. He said, I, I don't tell jokes, they're just thoughts, and the thing is, as a comedian, if you look at what he's doing, 
I personally go, no, those are jokes. It okay. has a setup, it has a middle, and has a punchline. And I understand that he was never a traditional stand-up, and he's not, and he's very in- innovative and great. But they are still jokes. And the same like well, um, Billy Connolly, who I think is brilliant as well. Mm-hmm. But Billy Connolly, everyone says, you know, he tells stories. But if those stories didn't have jokes in them, you would not listen to them. That's true, but I mean, he's also a gifted storyteller in general. Like, you would probably still read Eddie Izzard's work. I don't, know if he, I don't know if he's as funny on the page, to be honest. Okay. He's, it's very, um, you know, it's a lot to do with his delivery. I'm sorry, I'm being... No, 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 it's, it's, it's funny. Um, Adam, uh, right before he came over, I was checking on Facebook uh, to make sure he was showing up. And uh, that's not a knock on you at all. <laughs> and I, I realize that he's hosting an open mic in about an hour. So we're going to make this as long as possible. <laughs> so I'm going to let him answer the phone calls if he gets reception in this place, because I don't, and it's fucking awful. No, it's, I've turned it off. It's good. Oh, it's I'm good. sorry then. Anyways, um, back to the stand-up question, obviously, because you are a stand-up. Um, what made you initially want to become a stand-up? Um, well, I, I kind of, I always, I don't know, I always sort of liked the idea, uh, in my head, I always liked the idea of possibly being a stand-up or making people laugh, okay. uh, somehow being able to do that a lot. However, given my personality, I had always also resigned my fact that I would never do stand-up. Like, up until three years ago when I started doing it, I had always totally resigned my fact I'd always said, well, I'm funny in conversation, but I would never be funny on stage. So from a, from a young age, you thought of yourself as a comedian in a, in a way. <sighs> Not of my, but I just, I don't know if I thought of myself as a comedian, but I, but I knew that I liked funny things more than anything else. Okay, so you enjoyed humor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just and you know what, and that sounds like an, an obvious... Uh, like it's really not. It's not. But it's kind of weird. It is weird where, where I would find myself in conversations. Here's the thing, I would... And I, I only realized all this after I started doing comedy. But I would find myself say, you know, four or five years ago, you and I met met in a bar where, it, say, we were hanging out, and I tried to make a joke and it didn't go over. I, I it would be as if I had bombed on stage. Okay, which is pathological. Um, <laughs> so do all stand-ups need to be pathological? I, I don't I don't agree with that because, I mean, if you look at Jerry Seinfeld, he's the most <laughs> together. Yeah, but look at his best friend. Probably, like, <laughs> right, the most right, pathological right. person you could be. Well, okay. Well, that's the yin and the yang, I suppose. But uh, and that's why I guess they made that great show together. But I, I don't know. I, I, you know, this idea. I also worry about this idea that uh, saying that stand-up comedians are crazy and and rude and weird off stage because sometimes you meet someone and they are almost using that. Perception as a license, and it's like okay, yeah, okay, you know what I mean, like yes, yes, yes. But um, but so I don't necessarily agree with that. But but so I don't think. But I, just in terms of myself, though, I remember looking back and then going, "Wow, I was I was really judging myself on on how funny I was in a conversation," and that's ridiculous. That's a that's a that's an unsensical. Role. How long were you doing this? I think uh, it's judging like, yourself, obviously, especially when I got here. Uh, when I moved to Chicago and, and uh, you know, I sort of fell into this pre-established group of friends. And this sounds like a sitcom, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it'll, yeah, it'll just be me judging myself after. There'll be five minutes of plot and other characters and the rest of it will just <laughs> me writing how my, my conversations went. I think that would work as an HBO show, actually. <laughs> yeah, probably, right. But what, what, so you, when did you first move to Chicago? What year was that? Uh, 2004. So 2004. So for the last five years, or at least the first three years you were here, roughly, first two, you were judging yourself in conversation. <laughs> I just, like I said, I didn't realize it at the time. But when I once I started doing comedy, um, 
I felt like I was trying to be funny less often in conversation, which was brilliant because then I could actually talk to people like 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 human beings. So, are you currently talking like humans, like a human now? I think so. That's very good. That's very good. <laughs> I hope so. So, what was the impetus for performing? Um, what happened was, so like I said, I I I'd always thought it would be great because I mean, when I was four, when I was say thirteen, fourteen. Like, my brothers and I, we knew... There's a great Steve Martin film, uh, Steve Martin Live. It's from 1979. It's a performance film. It's one of the best stand-up films I've ever seen. Um, We knew it backwards and forwards. We, like, we could quote it, like, ad nauseum. So I knew... So stand-up had always appealed to me. I knew I would never do it. But then um, I I was doing freelance writing for a magazine, CS, Chicago Social Magazine. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so um, could we talk about them really quick as a side note? Yeah, we get you when I, a wonderful laugh. When <laughs> I when I look at you and you look at me, I don't think these are two CS readers <laughs> at all. Uh, right. CS is a, it's a fine publication. Yeah. Uh, to be fair, I've read I think a paragraph in one of them. Right. Uh, it's not my. I'm not their target demo. You found the paragraph. I found the paragraph. <laughs> I'm either a hundred pounds too heavy or a uh, hundred pounds too light to be in that magazine. I think you're with. with uh, uh, no offense, but I think you're a hundred thousand dollars too poor. That's, that's <laughs> what I'm unless I'm a bouncer and there's nothing else to read. <laughs> right, um, right, right. It's very it's it's the glossiest magazine that's ever that I've ever picked up. That's free. It's it's extra glossy. Yeah. It's the glossiest. It's thicker than business cards. <laughs> it is, yeah, and good it, for them. It weighs seven and a half pounds, and six of those pounds are just gloss. And it's just kind of, <laughs> I, all I could think of is like whenever I read a magazine or I see a magazine like that, I just keep thinking like in six years, no one's going to keep you warm at night. And I find that very <laughs> comforting and sad at the same time. Anyways, how were, why were you freelancing for them? I know it's, I'm guessing it was just a paycheck. It was, well, it was, it was, it was through, uh, you know, I was trying to get, um, I was trying to pick up extra work. I, I, I had like a day job, but I, I wanted to write more. Um, and then so a friend of a friend was the editor there who's actually you know uh, and before sending else and I'm not saying this out of professional capacity but incredibly nice people oh I'm to sure, work I'm with. sure yeah, really great people to work with and, and really um, you know really professional and friendly so I you know they, they said well just pitch me something and then I was working at a company where a friend of, um, a woman I worked with her boyfriend was a stand up comedian by the name of Paul Sigworth um, and I met him at a party and he told me that he'd been doing stand-up for a couple of years and he told me about the whole open mic thing and he told me about like how hard it is and how there's this big scene that you know people didn't know in this city because improv is so huge. Yeah, if this city being Chicago for right. those listening. Yeah, right, right, sorry. Yeah. It, no, 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 don't apologize. It's just, uh, it's just, it seems like the trend and it's an awful trend. What, what's Look, that? That's, that's all people think there is, is sketch. Yeah, it's catching up. Yeah, yeah, and it's not as big as people think because I can't think of one person that isn't in multiple groups or troops. I right, say. right, right. So, right, it's d- whatever. And I think it's. I, I think what's happens with that is the bios of of famous people in SNL because the bios will always say second city, second city IO or the groundlings or something yeah. like that, and then people go, oh well, therefore. But so, you know, and I and I, I'm I'm so anyway I. Where were we? Oh yeah, Paul said with yeah, blah, yes. blah blah. So so he t- told me about that, and when he talked to me about it, I said, "Well, that sounds like a good pitch for a story about how there is, you know, th- this city is known for improv and sketch, and all these people were just, and th- I was just, I had no idea how often mm-hmm. you have to do stand up to get good at it, you know. Well, how often do you have to do stand up? Uh, I mean, for example, you're performing at an open mic tonight, and you were performing at open mics when you first started. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, that's the thing. I mean, there's a guy. Um, 
I remember some. There's a guy called John Roy who's a who's a very successful uh, Chicago stand-up. And I remember when I was starting doing it, he just, was just happened to be talking to someone, and he said, "You need to be doing stand-up at least three times a week to be doing it." And I agree with that. And and, and there is this sort of you know poor cousin mentality to Chicago stand-ups, where a lot of them they will distinguish themselves you know purely through work. And for most of them, it does actually pay off. You can see, but they will, you know, they will say, "I hit up more open mics than anyone else," and it's, you know, it's a real sort of badge of, uh, you know, badge of honor. But hopefully, it pays off. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But okay, what's the ultimate goal then? For for you as a as a professional stand up comedian, is it to stay a stand up comedian? Is it just to play bigger venues? Would you still be doing open mics once a week? Would is it to be an actor? The best thing for me was that um, I had no and have no. Goals. <laughs> the uh, end. Uh, the end. Yeah, that is the best thing. You know, it, because it takes an enormous amount of pressure off, and then you sort of can conduct yourself in a way where you don't have to. Uh, you're not anxious because I sort of got into this to see if I could do it, and then I was like, and you obviously can, right? And then, but you're still doing it. Yeah, and I would. Well, I would still always do. Open, I think you open mics are. I don't know at what point you should ever stop doing open mics. I can't imagine unless you are getting booked so often that you can, that you can, you know, in your forty-five minute headliner headliner set, sneak in five minutes of new material and yeah. see if it works. So I think that's why maybe people stop going to open mics just because they have so many op- other obligations. Okay. But for instance, Hannibal Buress, who's at, um, who was at your who show, was at the show, yes, who did f- forty-five minutes. Who of, recommended you? Yes. <laughs> that's why we got you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was. In, uh, incredibly nice guy, but that after he did your show, he went. I don't know if he actually he tried to go, but after he did your show, he went and did an open mic that other comics haven't even heard of at, the, at this bar called uh, Weeds, I think it's called. But he went. Shows on Weed Street. It wasn't Weeds. I think it's just called Weeds. And, okay. And uh, he went. He goes over there, and it's a poetry open mic. And he will go over there, and he's and this is a guy who's been on, you know, who's going to be taping a. A half-hour special for for TBS. Yeah, and so, he was just on. Fuck, he was playing Zanies that week. That's why he was yeah, in town headlining headlining Zanies. Yeah. yeah. So in terms of when you should stop doing open mics, um, my my guiding light is if it's good enough for Hannibal Buress, it's good enough. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because well, you still hear stories of like Dan Cook or Chris Rock showing up at like the comedy store at like three a.m. to do a late set. Right. Right. Because right. Right. Exactly. So. Yeah. But okay, so is your goal to have a career like that, where you're just doing stand up and I'm, you're living off of it? I'm trying to figure that out, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that, that that's the thing because I'm now being forced to have goals, <laughs> which is a terrible outcome of this entire thing. That's teaching kids never to try. <laughs> right, right. If you have, if you achieve any success, people will expect you to have more. So that's <laughs> that's the horrible thing about it. Um, I don't know. I, th- I think it's just for me. It's it's as abstract as the next thing. It's it's if I get right now, I'm I'm very you know I'd say I'm a lower level, but doing all right in terms of featuring. I'm getting you know mm-hmm. featuring. I need to do that more. I do that a lot around here in Chicago in the Midwest. I need to do it more. So if we were like in Toledo, Ohio, you'd be like the best comic in town, probably. I don't know about. Well, that. you'd be high on the list, but in in terms of Chicago, you're you said moderate. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, and I, then in New York would be low, probably yes, uh, or yeah, just in terms of sheer number of people. Exactly, exactly. Okay, and, and just in terms of where you are, in terms of you know featuring. I mean, I'm very much, uh, I'd say, an all right feature comic. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, and so I'm fine with that. And then, and then the thing is, 
um, just trying to get really, really good at that and be as good at that as, as I can. And All right. Well, do you remember the first time you performed? Yeah, I do. I have two. There's one that I count, one that I don't count. All right, let's go through both of them. Okay, the one that I the one that I don't count, I was drunk. There was a, there used to be a fantastically terrible open mic at a bar called the Mutiny. Do you know the Mutiny? I love the Mutiny. The Mutiny's fantastic. <laughs> For those of you that don't know, go to the Mutiny. Um, their webpage was made on a GeoCity site about seven <laughs> years ago. No, I'm serious. This is yeah. true. And the front page is this, the world's worst urinal. And that's right. all it is. And it does smell like piss. And the owner's a great guy, but he looks so sleazy. Yeah, yeah. He's got slid back. His name's Ed. He's a great guy. Yeah. He is. And the beer is really, really cheap. And uh, the whiskey's really, really cheap. And a lot of the women are missing teeth. And yeah. all the guys want to start fights. So you pretty much did it in the worst club possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so... and this It's dark. It's black. There's no light coming in the back room where he's performing. What's brilliant about it being so dark as well, they have they have tiled the ceiling with paintings. Yes. Each painting is... An, it, it, each tile is a different painting yeah but you can't see any of them because it's pitch black it's a brilliant brilliantly futile design gesture that's uh-huh. what i loved about it so i did it there and because I, I sort of did it when i was still doing research for the piece okay so i sort of did it. i kind of got drunk and i sort of stumbled up and i had these half-formed ideas that weren't even jokes and the thing is you know you have you had to be exceptionally talented just to get people to listen to you there so of course it was it was nonsensical and so the one that I count was about three weeks later, I think, where I didn't do it again. But I, my idea was, okay, I will finish researching this properly. And then just to cap off the research, purely for shits and giggles, not to start doing stand-up, but just to maybe if I have an insight mm-hmm. into it, I went and I did five minutes at a place called Pressure Cafe. Okay. Uh, How did that go? I got one laugh uh, pretty near the top of the set and then – Three to four minutes of absolute silence. Did anybody walk out? Nobody walked out. That's no. good. That's good. There was a lot of see. The thing is, open mic performers is that yeah. There's a lot of silence. So let's say that the, the show you're going to go to tonight and host the open mic. Uh, what percentage of it is going to be comedy, music, poetry, etc.? It's all comedy. The one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of. Here's the thing. There are probably about. 200 people, I'd say, doing stand-up comedy in some form in Chicago, like mm-hmm. in Chicago City. Um, of those, so when you go to an open mic, it's not uncommon to have at least 30 comedians who want to go up. Are you, are you, okay, this is shocking to me. Yeah, 30, and then and then 40 is not incredibly rare these days either. Wow. And so, Why is that? Is this just not enough places to perform? Um, well, well, honey, well, yeah, I mean, there's not a ton, but again, the thing with it is, is when you do an open mic, you get four minutes, usually, that's average. Yeah. So, you have to do, and I, this might get super technical, but but it's like, but and I, unfortunately, I'm one of these people who will indulge a long conversation. I'm, into, <laughs> I'm very interested because I have no idea about any of this. And again, this is just my perception of it and I'm not speaking as like sage or anything, you know, but, but this is just what I've gleaned from other people and much more experienced people uh, who've talked about it. But the thing is, you have to do so many things in order to become, to have a 45-minute set. Unless, there, I've seen some instances of people who came out of the box and were just, everything they said were funny, but that's, I could probably name two people like yeah. that. But you have to do so many things. Not only do you have to write funny jokes, you have to get comfortable on stage. Now, some people here, because some people go into stand-up because they can't get enough improv or sketch time. So they go and they do that because then they don't have to wait for anyone else to show mm-hmm. up. Or, you know, so. Um, so 
so you have to write funny jokes, which you're not going to do when you start. You uh, you're going to have to get comfortable on stage, and in addition to writing funny jokes, you have to write funny jokes that work for you, because okay. you will write jokes that people won't buy off of you. Do you know what I mean? Like this, if you are a, you know six foot, you know incredibly attractive guy mm-hmm. and you're telling jokes about um i have so much bad luck with the woman people will go well go fuck yourself because yeah. you don't and there's a woman hitting on you while you're telling your jokes <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean so it's it's sort of so you have to, you have to, you're figuring out four or five different things so in order and if you you're not going to figure that out in a couple of four minute sets but yeah. a month so if you're serious about it unfortunately you know and and there yeah and as you say there are a f- there aren't that many places to perform in front of a real audience where you're getting eight to 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, because, I mean, there are, but then, you know, those p- places tend to book at least some of the same people. Over, you know, it, it, yeah. it, it can be hard. So, so that's why these open mics are packed because it takes, you know, you've only got four minutes a shot. So, you know, you're hitting up three or four a week. Um, you wait an hour and a half to go up. You may, you may have, you know, you may have, say you showed up, you wait an hour and a half, you're getting drunk, you fuck up your jokes. Yeah. Well, then you've got to redo those. So, <laughs> so um, yeah, I think that's why they're so packed because there's just, so, there is a lot that goes into getting to the place of like a Prescott talk or Hannibal Buress where it's kind of like they come on and you're like, he's telling, he looks great, he's telling the right jokes, mm-hmm. he's telling them for the right reasons and no one else can tell that joke, which is huge. And that just takes so much fucking time that, you know, you, you that's why, you know, people rack up. In this city, you know, people who are serious about it, they rack up, um, you know, 50 open mics a month, maybe. That's insane. Because you hit, hit three a night. Yeah, 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 that's yeah. insane. <laughs> I think that's how we opened <laughs> we opened up the conversation about comedians. Being yeah, yeah, this is, a, this is an absurd career choice in a yeah. wonderful, wonderful way. Um we mentioned you mentioned drinking in the last uh, question. Right. Kind of, I mean, how is is drinking good for comedians? I mean, it, it, does it loosen you up enough that when you finally perform, you're, you're better? Or I would, I mean, I, I can't speak. I'm for sure it's an individual experience, but as a host versus as a comedian, what do you think? Uh, as a host, alcohol is absolutely indispensable. Yeah, because otherwise, you will murder someone because you. <laughs> It's you have thirty five people um, who are all <laughs> who are coming up to you four or five times every hour going wait where am I in the where have I and can I can I do longer or can I and they're all just clamoring and and so they might be very impatient to tell their dick and fart jokes and you know so so drinking while hosting uh, puts me in a better um, state of mind of than, course <laughs> than not but I don't know me personally. Um, I definitely drink at shows. I don't try to have any more than one drink. Then you're not drinking at shows. I mean, I will drink. The you you will drink at a beer before you go on. Yeah, but after once I'm off stage, all but that's different. Off. Right, right, right. That's just your social life. But no, I don't. You no, know, like going up. Yeah, going up drunk on stage. Um, and I hope that the, wait- the waitresses. I hope none of the waitresses from Zany's. Uh, hear this because they would be laughing at me. <laughs> but no, I don't. I really don't. I, I really try to keep it down to one drink before I go on stage because that helps me enough. But any more, any more than that is disastrous because you just you need you need to be fluid and you need to be like. 
Do you think this is common amongst your peers, or do you think uh, most people are drinking until they go on not keeping count? Uh, I, there's not too many who go up there shit faced. Okay, they are. They will all get shit faced subsequently. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. They're. It's yeah. It's they're all huge lushes, <laughs> but but. Um, is there anybody in AA that you know in Chicago that's doing stand up? Um, don't no. name names, please. Don't name. No, names. Well, that would that would take out at least one of the A's. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> in that, in the whole AA deal. Uh, no, I. I, I I don't know, and I don't think I would say even if I knew, to be honest. But um, no, I mean, I I don't know, and like okay. I said, if I did know, I probably wouldn't. No, no, no I don't want names. Just, but uh, it just seems like it, it, this is the closest you could be to being in a band. It 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 is. And I mean, usually, there's one person in the band that shouldn't be drinking and should be an AA. Yeah, I mean, the the, the thing is, what I what I find, I do run into an increasingly uh, increasing amount of headliners who do not drink. Because they just uh, <laughs> you ask them, "Oh, you want to drink?" And then they sort of this sort of pale, <laughs> you know, this pallor descends on their face, and they sort of shake their head, you know, in moments of uh, of terrible mistakes. <laughs> and you just let the entire. T- but yeah, I mean, it's I don't again from what I've heard. I mean, I'm not a huge road warrior or anything, but no, from no. what I've heard, uh, yeah, it's definitely an occupational hazard. Because of course. I mean. It's even harder to be an alcoholic comic now because, as I understand it, um, the free drinks used to be used to be a lot freer. You know, back in the the mid nineties mm-hmm. and stuff, where people would say, "Yeah, I d- they would just stay at the pub and d- uh, stay at the club and just drink." Yeah, you know, because they didn't. You know, they're getting paid by the club. They don't want to give necessarily give your paycheck back. Of course, so. of course. But <laughs> okay, so for you, what is the next step? Do you think? I mean, right now you said just going to. Like you're just taking it as it goes, but do you see yourself moving to New York or LA? Do you see yourself trying to tour more of the year? Definitely tour. I need to. I need to. I need to get myself a car. I need to get in the car. And I need to book more road work. And then, like I said, a huge. Again, the thing is, there's a huge chunk missing from my resume, and that is doing feature work on the road, which is different from doing it in Chicago. I mean, from what I've heard, for a little from my own experience, but mainly from what I've heard other people, is that you know Chicago is a very fucking hip town. People here are cool. They understand comedy. They, you know, you know, Second City. You know, mm-hmm. like they have that whole thing going on. So, what works or how you work as a feature? Again, from what I understand, is not necessarily going to go gangbusters. You know, in Dubuque or yeah. you know. So, um, I really need to add that aspect. I would say I'm I'm looking to take a trip out to New York um, and just do as many shows as I can out there and just yeah. see what it's like. Yeah. And also, you know, because you just want to see how you how you match up, and like you said, it's kind of you know if you're if you're in one scene, yeah, you could be the big fish. Yeah, I mean, yeah. not not that I'm even. I'm sort you're of. You're very very talented. We're gonna wrap this up and get you out of here. So we're gonna more have, like a clump of seaweed, I think. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna close this episode with a question from the kids. We have questions by awesome. Gregory Stock, PhD. So Adam, I need you to pick a number between one and two hundred and sixty. Uh, let's do one ninety eight. Yeah, to have a double, I think. Okay, 198. If eating nothing but a tasteless food paste for a year would make you a lot stronger and more attractive, would you do it? <laughs> um, Keep in mind, this is for children, this book. That's an awful if question. Eating, if, if eating nothing but a tasteless food... A tasteless paste for a year would make you more attractive and stronger. <laughs> I love stronger is the first one. Um, 
God, my, my diet isn't that good, isn't so far removed from tasteless food paste right now. So I think, yeah, I, I, I think I would. I think I would, too. I think my girlfriend You still would, drink, though, that's the thing. My girlfriend would force-feed it to me when I was asleep. There must be a funnel involved. Yeah, I, I think uh, yeah, I think I would. Would you? Yeah. I definitely. I definitely would. Uh, I'm not a big food person at all. I just don't care. Do you ever forget to eat? Yeah, if if my girlfriend's out of town, days. Yeah, I'm the same, man. Yeah, I mean, but then when she's in town, I'll eat three square meals, and I'll be like, my body will be freaked out. Like I grew <laughs> up on White Castle and stuff. People are so appalled, aren't they, when they, when you forget to eat? Because they're like, this is yeah. a, a basic function of it survival. Really is. <laughs> and it's not even like I'm drinking or I'm sleeping. I'm just awake and like just totally forgot. Yeah, yeah. And I, I would like. I I want the food paste. I'm, <laughs> I'm jealous of the people with the food paste. Let's make it happen. Uh, if we had any knowledge of food and or paste, I'd be here <laughs> with you. Okay, so we're gonna plug Adam's uh, shows. There's multiple shows. Uh, the best way for you to find out where he will be is probably just to go to myspace.com backslash a t b u r k e or just Google Adam Burke because it's a lot easier. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, and uh, Facebook me as well. I'd say that's a very nice thing to do too because uh, you are a college educated person. Now go on Facebook. Okay. Um, <laughs> Um, the big shows we're going to promote for him is uh, he's part of the Just for Laughs Festival. And if I'm correct, this was the Montreal Just for Laughs Festival. Uh, and now it's in Chicago. Well, it's both. So okay, this is they like added a, it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah. so this is a really, really big festival. It's really, really cool. Um, um, it's sad that the only headliners I can think of I don't like, so I'm going to try to... Okay, oh, yeah, okay. Oh, Louis C.K.'s on it. and uh, Patrice O'Neill. Uh, Patrice O'Neill. He was amazing uh bob and bob bonakirk's on it uh a lot of people and i'm just trying to not say that one name i don't like robert smigel yeah he's going to be at the lakeshore but adam is going to be at the lincoln lodge uh this wonderful place in uh, lincoln square it's got abraham lincoln's head you can't miss it he'll be there on uh, june 19th and june 20th which is to my knowledge a friday and a saturday i believe so yeah there's no reason not to go it's at 9 p.m which is the perfect time it's cheap it's 21 and over um do you know who else is on the bill uh, oh, you're going to get Prescott Toke, Cameron Esposito, uh, the hilarious Sean Flannery. Um, Good uh, peoples. Yes. Yeah, Brian Berry and uh, Lil Well and Chastity Washington. That's the entire bill. That's a very, very, very <laughs> solid bill, yep. and it's a Friday and Saturday night. It's going to be really good. Go to that show, and uh, thank you, Adam, for doing this. Thank you very much for having me. I'm going to plug my crap now. I am sorry. <laughs> <laughs> On June 8th, uh, we're going to have Spare Machine and Ty Maxson at the Hungry Brain, so that's who's going to close out the show. This is Spare Machine. You've been listening to You, Me, Them, Every Everybody, go to Adam's website. He's a lovely comedian, and uh, have a wonderful evening. I dream of water, I dream of sand, I dream of creases in your hand. They are a language unto themselves They speak in witchcraft and they cast spells on me And on the clover I am the dew And by mid-morning my time is through And no one's the wiser I'll see you soon I send you waves You send them back You say be patient Don't know
come over I'll lick your shoes No one's the wiser I dream of water, I dream of sand.